for listening to the inaugural episode of Common Ground, the podcast where we seek opportunities to move beyond our ideological differences and find common ground to build on. I'm your host, a completely unqualified amateur podcaster with an interest in economics and psychology, history, philosophy, politics, education, sports, and just about everything else. Before we dive into our first topic, allow me a short digression to give you my perspective on why I feel this type of podcast and our efforts more generally to find common ground are critical to the health of our society. So as our discourse has become increasingly polarized, it seems that more and more there is an expectation that each of us will take sides. And these sides are becoming more and more siloed. And as a result, these sides not only become less aware of the quote-unquote opposition's thoughts, but they begin to actually engage in an effort, whether conscious or subconscious, to misinterpret or really to misrepresent the thoughts of the other side or, frankly, to outright vilify and dehumanize the opposition, rather than engage in honest and productive discourse. And I really think this is becoming quite dangerous for our society. I was actually inspired to create this podcast about a year ago, although I I didn't get around to doing it, Um, but I originally thought of the idea for this podcast after reading an article in the New York Times, and it was titled, COVID's Partisan Errors. And the article described how people on the left and the right had become incredibly misinformed when it came to COVID risks. And at the time, a large portion of the people on the right believed COVID was less dangerous than the flu, and a large portion of the people on the left believed that 20% or more of people who got COVID would need hospitalization. And hearing these rather absurd claims, absurd given the information that we already had that made them well, absurd. But these absurd claims from both sides made me realize how deeply our realities were now being defined really by our ideologies. So I'm hoping that this podcast will discourage unproductive partisan discourse and replace it with an authentic appreciation and consideration for diverse points of view. So the plan is for each episode to feature a different topic. And I think that for each of these topics, the listener might be surprised by how much common ground there actually is 
between quote unquote opposing sides. So with that, let's move on to the first episode, which is admittedly going to be a little different than many of the episodes that follow. Uh, this week, I wanted to start by examining the conflict between two groups with seemingly vast ideological differences to see where we might find some common ground. So with that rather lengthy introduction out of the way, I give you episode one of Common Ground, Liberty and Let me start by acknowledging that the very title of this episode, Liberty and Equity, could turn off a vast number of individuals who have preconceived ideas about what someone who is concerned with liberty thinks, or they might have preconceived ideas about someone who is concerned with equity thinks. Those who consider themselves quote-unquote equity-minded might see those concerned with liberty as selfish, gun-toting, anti-vaxxers, while those who consider themselves as liberty-minded might see those concerned with equity as authoritarians using concerns about social justice as a pretense for replacing the rights of the individuals with state control. However, I hope that we can put aside some of these preconceptions to challenge this dichotomy, that we need to be for equity or for liberty, and explore if there are opportunities for promoting a more equitable society while preserving liberty. So let me start by defining some of the terms I'll be using in this episode. First, if I refer to libertarians, I'm not referring to members of a political party, such as the Libertarian Party, but rather someone who would be considered libertarian on a continuum. So a continuum which has libertarians who believe in the primacy of individual rights on one end versus authoritarians who believe the state should have much greater control of the individual on the other end. In this sense of libertarian, you will find we have both right-leaning libertarians and right-leaning authoritarians, of course, and left-leaning libertarians and authoritarians, of course. So, for example, a libertarian might be for the right of an adult to smoke marijuana and own a gun or protest or view pornography or refuse a vaccine. And those folks could be on the left or the right. And again, the distinguishing factor here is that the primacy is given to the rights of the individual or the libertarians whereas the authoritarian might seek to support the government's role in restricting individual choice 
if any of these activities are viewed as not being for the good of the community. On a side note, if you're interested in where you might stand on this spectrum between libertarian and authoritarianism, there are many free assessments online. Uh, one of the ones that's very popular that I have done before is the politicalcompass.org assessment. So I would, I would try that one, check that one out, see where you stand. So hopefully that describes, uh, that helps to describe the libertarian perspective. But what about our equity-minded individuals? Who are we talking about there? So when I speak of someone who supports equity, I'm really talking about someone who wants to move beyond just promoting equality of opportunity and who wants to engage in efforts to eliminate ongoing inequities and outcomes in society and pursuing interventions to do so. The people concerned with equity often fashion themselves as champions of promoting a more just society. Uh, hence the commonly used term social justice warriors, which some may view as complementary, while others may consider the term to be pejorative. Uh, often the equity-minded individuals are more supportive of policies which lead to the redistribution of wealth between the haves and quote-unquote have-nots as a tool to make society more equitable. Uh, I should state, though, that however, this redistribution of wealth is hardly the equity-minded folks' only concern. Uh, they may also be concerned with reforming drug laws that result in mass incarceration, for example. Which, now that I give it some thought, is also a great example of an issue in which the uh, equity-minded might find common ground with the libertarian, as the libertarians might view the war on drugs as infringing on individual rights and having been a abhorrent failure and really a violation of individual rights. Uh, really, that is a great example of common ground between libertarians and equity-minded folks. But since I've prepared another example, let's uh, save that one for another day. So now, having already identified some potential common ground with both libertarians and equity-minded folks having opposition to the criminalization of drug use, or another one that comes to mind, um, individuals' choice to engage in gay marriage may be another one where libertarians and equity-minded folks could come together. Anyway, I digress again. Uh, I really wanted to circle back to the question of an issue which would seem much more divisive, and that was the discussion of the redistribution of wealth. So let's imagine that the equity-minded individual suggests that government tax the haves and redistribute those funds to the quote-unquote have-nots. And I think you can imagine the response of the libertarian who is most concerned with the 
rights of the individual. I, I think it's safe to assume that the equity-minded individual's proposal to tax one individual and redistribute those funds to another to promote equity will be met with great skepticism from the libertarian on a number of grounds, not the least of which being uh, the individual tax, being denied the right to their property, fears that this will lead to an even greater increase in the size of the state and the bureaucracy, concerns about the efficacy of the initiative in actually improving the conditions of those who are impoverished, and concerns about the effect this will have on markets, the overall health, and efficiency of the nation's economy. So with that, let's take a short break and then consider the legitimacy of these concerns raised by the libertarians. Considering the concerns of the libertarians regarding taxing individuals in order to redistribute wealth, in order to promote equity in society. So one of the concerns that we identified was, does taxing an individual violate their right to property? And of course, here in the United States, this has been a major issue throughout the history of our nation. Uh, Taxation is a major issue. Taxes were one of the reasons, of course, for the American Revolution and the years following the war for independence. Our government struggled to raise enough money to pay off its war debts. And we did have an income tax after the Civil War. Um, However, later in the 1800s, another income tax was actually declared unconstitutional. And it wasn't until 1913 with the addition of the 16th Amendment, that Congress received that authority to have the right to have an income tax. And although that tax was relatively small and paid by less than 1% of the population, and we were told that the income tax would be small and only affect the ultra-rich at the time, Since then, the amount of taxes the government collects from individuals and the size of the state have, of course, grown exponentially. And so concerns about the government taking more money from the individual and denying them their property certainly seem to be legitimate concerns and should be recognized as such and not trivialized. So I would say... We hear, we hear you libertarians uh, with this concern. Another short aside here, I think that discussions regarding taxation really need to employ marginal analysis and that the understanding that taxation is really not a yes or no question primarily, but how much do we tax, what get taxed, who gets taxed, And we will introduce marginal analysis as an important tool in our efforts to find common ground in future episodes, uh, including episodes that are upcoming related to 
pollution and vaccines. Um, anyway, acknowledging that taxation is a legitimate concern, let's now move to the libertarians' second concern. And that is that redistributing wealth will lead to an increase in the size of bureaucracy. So on that point, um, federal expenditures have increased about 2,000% since 1930. Uh, they've gone from about $3 billion to over $6 trillion. So yes, I would say it's a legitimate concern that we will see an increase in the size of the state and bureaucracy. And I know some will point out that this spending of $6 trillion still represents less than 20% of our nation's GDP, but the concern here I think is definitely worthy of at least consideration. Uh, also, another point here might be that with the growth in expenditures and the size of the state, we have seen a rise in the power of what some people call the fourth branch of government, the bureaucratic departments who impose regulations upon the, pe the people in the, in the eyes of the libertarians without really being voted into power or being part of the legislative system and having the authority to, to do so. Uh, another concern of the libertarians uh, regarding government investment and promoting equity is that they do not believe the state has demonstrated the ability to improve the condition of the impoverished. Again, these concerns do seem to have some legitimacy, given prior government fails, failures, such as the development of government housing, which turned into ghettos in many locations, or the mass incarceration of colored people by the state, or continued gaps in outcomes among ethnic groups in education, um, and the failures to eliminate poverty despite massive social spending. However, on the flip side, there have arguably been government successes, such as improvements overall in educational outcomes, or decreases in wage gaps, or improvements in rates of home ownership. Uh, however, it is also unclear how much of the credit the government deserves in these outcomes. So again, it seems that libertarian concerns about the government being effective in improving the condition of the impoverished by receiving these funds does have some legitimacy. And finally, there is the libertarian concern that taxation will distort markets and in the process hurt all Americans. I think that concern goes something like this. Uh, when we tax individuals, we are often taking capital out of the hands that, of those who have proven most efficient in allocating resources or allocating capital. Uh, we recently saw this argument play out between Elon Musk and Elizabeth Warren, with Warren contending that Musk should be paying more taxes as he's the wealthiest man on earth. And Musk, you know, tweeting back to Elizabeth Warren and pointing out that he was going to pay billions this year. And 
really questioning if the government could have more effectively allocate the money than he did. And I think Elon does have a point here. Um, I think we have to question if we had taken the profits from Elon Musk, you know, that he received from PayPal, if we'd taken a large chunk of those profits, would he have had enough funds to, to grow Tesla, um, to create SpaceX, for them to become what they have become? Would we as a society have been better off if the government had taken a large chunk of those profits, a larger chunk of those profits um, that Elon got from the success of PayPal? You know, it depends really on the how effective the government would be in, in spending those funds. So it's an interesting question for sure. So overall, with the recognition that the libertarians' concerns, including those about property rights and the efficiency of taxation, are legitimate, I think we can move on and say, is there any way to address these concerns? and to still achieve our goals related to promoting equity? And the short answer may be no, but perhaps we can find some common ground with an idea that I'm going to present that is gaining traction, and we will discuss after this short break. As we discussed before the break, we have the equity-minded calling for all members of the citizenry to share more equally in the wealth of the nation. And however, libertarians and many others in our society may be resistant to redistributing wealth, in part due to the reasonable concerns that this redistribution of wealth strips property from the individual, and that it will be accompanied by an increase in the largesse of bureaucracy, and just generally will not accomplish much for those who it is intended to help. So how could we ensure that all Americans receive some level of wealth, a safety net, if you will, while avoiding a further expansion of government bureaucracies, and the negative, unintended consequences that come with them. So perhaps the answer is uh, today's, today's topic, universal basic income. So let's start with what the heck is universal basic income? Universal basic income refers to a process by which people receive some income from a government or other entity, and they receive this income regularly and unconditionally. For example, everyone gets $1,000 per month. So how does the provision of universal basic income promote equity? And how does it promote or at least preserve some aspects of liberty. Well, the proponents of UBI, universal basic income, contend that when all members of the citizenry receive income, 
and share in the wealth of the nation, society becomes more equitable. And just to kind of demonstrate this, uh, I'm going to get into the weeds here a little bit and try and muddle through a practical example of how UBI works for those of you who are not very familiar with the concept. And for those who are, just bear with me here. So imagine a society in which there are only four people. And we're going to call those people Gabriel, Emily, Erica, and Julian. And currently, their incomes are Gabriel has $120,000 income, and Emma has a $50,000 income, and Erica has a $25,000 income, and Julian has a $5,000 income. So in total, they have $200,000 in income. So Gabriel at $120,000 has 60% of that, and Julian at $5,000 has 2.5% of all the income of the $200,000 in total income. If each individual in this society of four people that we've created received $5,000 of universal basic income annually, the resulting distribution that would now be Gabriel has 125,000 because he got 5,000 more. Emma has 55,000. Erica has 30,000 and Julian has doubled his money. He's gone from 5,000 to 10,000. So again, as you can see, Julian's portion of the total income has nearly doubled. Actual income has doubled, but portion of all of the money has nearly doubled. While Gabriel's has been reduced even though he received UBI, universal basic income. So, so there's now 220,000 in total income because everyone got 5,000. Julian who used to have 2.5% of the income when he had 5,000 now has 10,000. 10,000 is 4.5% of the total income. So where does this UBI funding come from? So potentially funding for UBI could come from a variety of sources. It could come from a private donor, like the, there's a project in Stockton where they're doing UBI. I think it's $500 a month per person. Um, it could come from a large-scale national effort if you want to do it nationally that was funded through taxation. Or an alternative would be to have a central bank provide the funding. So similar to how our central bank, um, the Federal Reserve System, well, the Treasury creates the money, but the goes to the Federal Reserve System and they create money out of thin air to loan to banks. Um, the central bank could create money and provide it directly to the citizenry. So. Instead of creating new money and giving it to banks, it would just go directly to the people. Of course, unlike the money distributed to the banks, the universal basic income to the people would not be in the form of a loan. So the obvious question here is, wouldn't this, if we did do it through a central bank and not taxation, wouldn't this creation of money cause inflation? And the answer is yes, of course. As we are seeing now, when the central bank increases the supply of money, as we've seen with the big drops in the discount rate and the um, Federal Reserve purchases of instruments, 
whether the central bank provides money for banks to lend out or whether it goes directly to the citizenry when we have more money in the supply we're going to have more money chasing the same amount of goods we're going to have inflation and the larger the amount of the UBI distribution provided to the citizenry through the central bank the greater the inflationary pressures will be of course uh, one method for controlling the amount of the distribution and therefore the inflationary pressure would be to calculate the amount that people receive in UBI based on the amount based on a formula tied to GDP so if we started with every citizen receives $500 that might increase based on how much the increase in the nation's GDP is so that in doing so uh UBI would increase when the wealth of the nation did, and we would all share in that increase in this wealth. I think another question might be, well, why did we give $5,000 to Gabriel when he was already had $100,000 or $120,000? And doesn't that just increase inequity by giving someone who's rich more money? But as illustrated in the example we talked about before, providing universal basic income to all citizens, including the wealthy, still results in the end in a more equitable distribution of wealth. And it also limits the need for bureaucracy to determine how the wealth is distributed. So kind of to give a, another example, if, if Elon Musk has $200 billion, and we decide to print enough money tomorrow to give everyone else $200 billion, would your complaint really be that Elon didn't need another $200 billion? Elon now has $400 billion and you have $200 billion. You're, you're half as rich as Elon Musk. Um, I don't think the real issue is with providing that funding also to those who are wealthy when we're actually making society more equitable. Um, we do need to recognize that universal basic income, like all efforts to redistribute wealth in order to reduce inequity, decreases liberty. Uh, in this case, liberty would be decreased due to the property being seized through taxation. Or if it wasn't through taxation, if it was a central bank, um, we would be reducing the purchasing power of someone's money. Their, their money would be devalued due to the inflation brought about by the printing of money and distributing to everyone else. Uh, but one could also argue that the central bank already infringes on our liberty by diluting the purchasing power of our money when they loan it to, to the banks, and that those banks then benefit from lending it out. Um, so the money here would go to the individual rather than the corporate banks first. UBI also has appeal to libertarians as, unlike initiatives which tax Americans, Americans and then provide services through what they may view as inefficient bureaucracies, UBI really limits the need for government bureaucracy in its implementation. Um, perhaps the greatest danger of implementing a UBI program uh, might be politicians calling for oversized distributions. So 
it might be suggested that everyone get $500 a month. And some politicians might be like, let's make it $3,000 a month. Of course, this could have uh, the unintended consequence of the large scale inflation we talked about. It could also deter capital investment. Um, or there could also be the threat of government imposing conditions to receive UBI. Uh, recently, I think there were concerns about, you know, must I get vaccinated in order to receive my government funding? So things like that. Like, will they be contingent upon complying with the government? However, even with these concerns, uh, universal basic income at least seems like an idea worthy of further exploration as a way to both promote equity in our society while still offering some protection to our liberty and addressing some of the concerns that you know we talked about being legitimate in this podcast, some of the legitimate concerns that those libertarians would have. So maybe this is a way that libertarians and equity-minded folks can find some common ground. So that, that's it for today's episode, the inaugural episode. I appreciate you sticking through the entire thing. Um, thanks for listening and look forward to upcoming episodes. Uh, we're going to have some on vaccines and environmental protection, immigration, and many more. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening. from the song Little Grass Shack, performed by Voodoo Sweet.